0: Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. John Warrow is joining us on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. One of the greatest Fs of all the TGAFs. John, He's an award-winning uh, F. I'm sorry?
1: <laughs> an award-winning F.
0: Yes, he is. <laughs> we're going we're to maybe take a tour through that museum behind you. We did that uh, last week uh, hmm. with all of our belongings. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll see it here, but uh, let me introduce everybody properly. John Warrow is an award-winning lacrosse writer for the Associated Press, and he's joining usual co-hosts Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein Firm and Matthew Fairburner of the Athletic. Um, Let's talk real quick before we get into the Sabres mess about J.J. Watt. He is uh, signing with the Arizona Cardinals, and uh, the Bills reportedly were finalists in his – in his free agency. And, um, Jonah, you're shaking your head. Why is that?
2: I just, I can't believe it. I thought it was going to happen. I saw so many tweets and so many clues. that just seemed to be in the stars in the horoscopes that it was going to happen. And I'm shocked that it did not happen.
0: Well, after the uh, Mario Williams signing, I just thought it was, it's, we've been down this road before. I thought for sure, uh, we were going to be picking up, uh, Wives and or girlfriends at the at the airport. Uh, It's just it's just what happens when Texans uh, pass rushers move on. They come to Buffalo. There's a long and storied history pipeline. Uh, John, this uh, clears up your day because this is a big enough story that uh, the Associated Press clearly would have been all over that. I I wouldn't say it clears up your day, but um, you're probably this is something you had to be monitoring for the last few weeks like the rest of us. Yeah,
3: I mean, I was—I've been checking, and um, you know, we've had an in- internal email thread, uh, which I actually uh, had the subject line of "What's up?" <laughs> Get it? W A T T. And uh, you know, we've been—it's uh, like the Cleveland writer, the our our Green Bay writer, Teresa Walker in Nashville, um, and a few others were involved, and uh, you know, we've been monitoring the whole situation and keeping us abreast of of what was being speculated out there, what was being tweeted out there. What John Clayton said and then retracted on Pittsburgh radio and we had you know we had one of our writers was very close to somebody in the JJ Watt camp and kind of kept us abreast on what was true and what was maybe a little suspicious and so we really held back on any speculative stuff and didn't write a lot on it but yeah it 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 clears it, it clears up it removes one element of, uh, of story-making that, that I'm, I, I, I might have to do in the, in, in the coming days. And I actually thought that there was a good chance that he was going to come to Buffalo
0: without revealing sources or anything. What was going on in this, in this thread, um, that led you to believe, um, and we all have our sources, uh, you know, we, but you get, you get little confirmations more than I'm talking about me anyway. Um, and I think probably, um, you know the same with Matt and I'm sorry Matthew. See the streak, the streak is is already over. I made it exactly one week with calling you Matthew as you asked me to do, and I'm I'm a bad I'm a bad F for dropping in Matts now. Anyway mm-hmm. Matthew and uh, John uh, in following this story. Yeah, you pick up your clues and things. But anyway, what's in this thread?
3: Well, I mean the the thread was most mostly discussion of what was going on and 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 our boss weighing in on whether this was worthy to be, be put into a story. And it really hit a crescendo this morning with the whole Peloton thing in which we thankfully held off on narrowing it down to those three teams um, before the news broke. But my hints I was getting was the fact I was not getting any responses from the people that I trust, which actually in, 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 a, in an interesting way, the lack of responses was loud was loud enough to me to believe that there was something to the speculation that was out there, that the bills were in the running. And the fact that people weren't talking or responding to knock down any of the speculation, um, to me, was an indication that, yes, the bills were actually seriously in the running for this. For, for, for what?
1: It was... Again, if you're not comfortable revealing the contents of said thread. But I'm curious, was the Cardinals writer involved in this banter? Nope. Because the Cardinals nope. seemed to kind of come out of nowhere here.
3: No, no. And, and, and I tweeted today that, you know, that, that in the rush to get this story first, all the speculation that was out there really reflects poorly on the, the entire industry, um, whether we were right or wrong or didn't report anything. I just think that the rush to get it first really made us look silly, all of us.
1: Yeah, I think the the story in general was uh, shined a pretty big light on sports journalism in general. There's nothing going on in the NFL. There's one guy out there, and everybody just wants to slap stuff against the wall and you know, kind of throw things in the air. JJ Watt's even just toying around with it all on Twitter and and doing what he does. And yeah, I like you said, I think it reflects on everybody. Um, you know, you have to talk about it. You have to, you know, you know, chime in or whatever, but yeah, we were, I feel like we were fairly reserved on everything, but still, yeah, the, the constant uh, churn of speculation, which is all it ever was uh, unless it was coming directly from JJ Watt um, just goes to show you even it got to the point where this morning I saw him tweet that picture out like 10 seconds after he tweeted it. And I'm looking at it, thinking, "Is he trolling? Like, <laughs> is he screwing around? Like, not because the Cardinals are such a shock; they came out of nowhere a little bit. But I was just thinking, is this another game? Because JJ Watt was playing it all along, too.
3: That was the that, and that was the response in our thread, in our email thread. Is this true? I mean, is he yanking our chain even further until there was finally some supporting material to su- suggest that he had indeed agreed to that deal? But, um. I I just don't get how, you know, well, I get how we got down this rabbit hole of having to be first and 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 trying to jump ahead of everybody, but um what really happened to the responsibility of actually reporting what you know and, and, and instead of guessing? And I, I think the 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 weirdest thing I saw was John Clayton knowing what he said on, on on Pittsburgh radio and then completely going 180 in, in, in what, in, in saying, I got to clarify. He didn't clarify what he said. He corrected what he said. And there was just this push for people to be, you know, for people to be first. And I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. It goes, and I've, I've hated it since the Antonio Brown thing.
1: It, it was a push for not just to be first, but to sound like, you know, right? To sound to sound like, you know, what's going on, what's in the know. And I think, it was last week when we were talking about it, we, we all kind of threw up our arms a little bit and said, who knows? I mean, they they keep getting thrown in the mix. And like you said, we're not hearing anything to the contrary that they've removed themselves or that they're trying to swat down this rumor. But yeah, it was, anytime there's a story out there like that, there's a lot of people that just want it known that they know something. Any little thing, even if, even just the appearance that they know something. And I think that's, that's where you get a lot of that rush to be first, and then you can circle back, and even Jay Glazer today was like, "Oh, the, the Cardinals were in this all along." It's like, well, that would have been nice information for your followers or your <laughs> viewers or anything. If it was so well known, uh, maybe that's something you should have reported. So uh, I mean, right now, uh, right, you throw enough against the wall, and it's like you can circle back and say, "Well, as I've been saying for weeks." Uh, you know, that was one of the 16 teams in the running. Well, great. You know? <laughs>
0: like that inside journalism joke that um, I think people who follow closely enough are in on the joke, too. But when when a reporter tweets something out there to cover his ass, the hashtag as expected, you know, like yeah. they're there. There are a bunch of those reporters out there who are quick to tell you that they they knew they just they didn't get around to, to sharing it with anybody. Um, I've been hearing this for weeks. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it's, I, I didn't get beat on this story. I just didn't report it. Right. I knew in Real October. insiders
1: keep it to themselves, right? right. I knew yeah. in October. I, well, but, I, that's why I was worried about JJ Watt tweeting that picture out because I thought to myself, he's been playing this game. He's been doing the whole, like, let's see how I can get these sports writers to chase their tail. And he tweets out source me. And and it's like there was a little game there, and I'm thinking, is he screwing around? Like, What is he getting involved in this now? Like, it was – there was a moment of hesitation there for me.
2: There definitely did seem to be consistent leaks, though. A lot of different reporters that normally get things right or sometimes get things right had been talking about the same three, four, five teams for several weeks. I wanted to ask John, I thought you said that you felt like the Bills were – in contention to, to sign JJ White. I'm wondering what led you to feel like that was a real possibility
3: yeah I mean like I said it's like when, when I when I texted and, and, and emailed the people whom I trust in both actually on both sides of the uh, of, of the picture it, JJ Watts camp and, um, and and with the bills the fact the fact that I wasn't getting any responses showed was was assigned to me from people I usually get responses from was assigned to me that this was actually true and they were in, they were in the running. So that's as far as, you know, I can't report anything more because no one would tell me anything, but it just, the, it spoke volumes that the fact that the, the, these, these, my emails, my texts weren't getting re- responses you know, I didn't take an affront to them because, like I said, these people usually respond to me. The fact that I wasn't getting responses showed what was assigned to me that the bills were seriously in this and didn't want to tip their hand to acknowledge how close things were.
0: Yeah, I think there are a lot of times when sources are willing to share information as long as they, can, they know it's not going to come back to them. So they can talk to you all day about bills, things they're hearing, as long as it's not directly involved. And then, so once they do become involved directly with the bills, that's when they have a tendency to shut up because
1: they don't don't want to get in trouble.
0: Right. But as an example, a year ago
3: at this time, everybody was speculating that Melvin Gordon was was, going to wind up in Buffalo. And one of the people that I texted actually came out and said, no, he's going to Denver. And so when I actually reported that in a tweet and actually told my Denver colleagues, people were shocked that that, that, that that this person would say something like that because he was obviously coming to Buffalo. And then hours or days later, Melvin Gordon signs with the Broncos. And so this is how I've developed sources. But you know, when they get back to me and, and, and tell me something or don't tell me something, like I said,
0: it speaks volumes. All right, let's move on to the Sabres. No. Speak, speaking volumes, uh, Saturday and Sunday, zero goals. Well, six allowed. It doesn't matter how many you allowed, but, you know, six isn't exactly a great number either. Although it's doable, I guess, you know, giving up, giving up three goals in a game, you can still win, but uh, not when you score zero. Um, you have the franchise player openly contradicting the head coach. The head coach essentially being called a liar in public. Um, And the team sucks. And it doesn't look like they're going to be getting any better. Ten straight years without the playoffs. Um, NHL record matching. Yeah, which is tough to do when over 50% of the league makes the playoffs. Uh, Who didn't make the playoffs last year? And it used to be uh, what? Like well, it used to be like 70% of the league made the playoffs. Well, last year, 24 expansion.
3: teams made the playoffs.
0: Oh, that's true. That's right.
3: 24.
0: That's right. I forgot about that, uh, that asterisk. Um, all right, John, uh, you were at the arena over the weekend. Uh, you've been following this closely. Um, what, and it, it's hard to talk about the feel or the environment when we're not in the dressing room, uh, everything's right. done over Zoom, et cetera. But there's enough coming through that camera. Um, just give us your, your general take on the Sabres right now. I,
3: you know, I, I have to compare this with the, maybe Russ Brandon president years of the bills, you know, for, for, for people who need some perspective here. This is a team that lacks vision, um, wants to make big splashes without having any, any definition of where it wants to go. Keeps adding multiple pieces to a team in which the pieces don't already fit, And now we have a coach um, who was relatively successful last year in in, in seeming to uh, starting to establish some kind of an identity with this team, but is hell bent on making sure right now that his system works um, or proving that his system works without the pieces actually fitting what his system is. At this point, we don't even know what his system is because his system is because the players aren't playing it. Obviously, um, they're struggling. They seem to be overthinking things. they They seem to well, be wait, John John isn't
0: that isn't that Chris Taylor's fault for not having him ready last year? Well, well, Chris Taylor got fired because he was trying to win too much. I mean right. I, I
3: just don't it and this really goes back to the neat, you know the, the mixed messaging we've been getting from, oh and let me
0: say that if you're not watching on Zoom, I was laughing as I said that. I did not mean if if, if that came across as me being serious. To those listening on the podcast, I was, no, I was, I was making a funny or at least trying to. We, we, you have
3: to, you have to inject laughter into this because it's, it's, it's all the Sabres own doing. Um, They've made misstep after misstep and just seem, you know, just, just every move they've made has, has blown up right in their face. Um, Kim and the mixed messaging we get right from Kim Pagula saying that, you know, we were careful of not making knee jerk reactions and listening to the fans when they're now on their third coach in six years, um, decided that they were going to bring Jason Bottero back before deciding that he wasn't coming back because all of a sudden they realized all their, the Sabres were losing all this money. So they brought in Kevin Adams, who I guess was just standing next to the Pagulas as he got hired, um. Who knows what would happen if the janitor was standing next to the bagulas? He could have been the general manager, or she, perhaps. And 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 he goes through this whole cost-cutting purge in which the Sabres didn't say actually were on the hook for more contracts that they inherited and are still paying out because they didn't realize that they were on the hook for these contracts. And and now we've got a general manager with very little experience. You know, adding to the adding to the troubles by 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 bringing by 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 showing he could spend a lot of money to bring players who can't make a difference, and I'm referring to Taylor Hall. I don't know where do you go from there,
1: John. Let me ask you this: I'll, I mean, there's been a lot of mess in the last week or so. Jack Eichel um, and Ralph Kruger with some mixed messaging, and I don't know. There's hard. It's hard to find. In past years, I feel like there were some some brighter spots or some reasons to think things could get turned around. You've covered the NHL for a long time, nationally, locally, in other markets. What does a turnaround look like? Like what would you what in your head do you think needs to happen? You know, a lot of people say, Oh, I just got to hit the reset button again. But it's like there's some talent there. You got a superstar player, you've got some good players. I mean, what has to happen? Uh, to get this thing finally, you know, pulled out of the mud.
3: I hate to say it; it's going to take a uh, bread and bean type of purge of, of of players who are talented but just don't don't fit in the culture. Um, I'm I'm looking at Marcel Darius. People go, oh my gosh, you know, Marcel Darius, we need him, or or or, or Sammy Watkins, that trade, or um, you know, getting rid of um, uh, Cordy Glenn. Uh, trading him to Cincinnati. It's going to take those type of moves because this group, as it stands, has shown it cannot succeed. I, I, if, if I was the general manager right now, I would be trading Sam Reinhart, He's he's a good player who has proven he is not part of the future of this team because he's been part of a losing past. I would be trading Taylor Hall and I would really look seriously at trading Jack Eichel because I think a full blown start over is where this team is at. They have some assets, they have some young core there in place. But what they have in place is, as I've said to colleagues, as i said to friends, as I've said it on Twitter, it's a Frankenstein monster built by three different GMs for three different coaches with pieces that just don't work together. It's, it's, it's time to start it all over.
0: I had to go and look at his stats uh, when Jake McCabe uh, suffered his injury, uh, his season-ending injury last week or a week and a half ago, whenever that was, and uh, the comments that were coming out of uh, the dressing room and from uh, Ralph Krueger um, about what a devastating loss this this is. And, um, you know, you thought that you were talking about, I don't know, Teppo Newman's when his uh, heart, when he needed heart surgery. Um, I had to go back and look at Jake McCabe's stats. And I said to myself, now maybe this is, a, maybe I, maybe I'm just a little out of touch here. I haven't covered this team uh, in a while, but, I went back and I looked at a guy playing 18, 19 minutes a night, plays 60 games a year. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a, this is the devastating loss. I mean, what is the bar on this team? And I hate to go back or maybe it sounds like a knuckle dragger too, but I hate to go back to when I covered the team. Cause it was so long ago, number one, but, and that was a very good team. It's hard to compare, but the character aspect of things, um, you know, you had Chris Drury and Daniel Briere were the captains. And of course, but you had 10 other guys on that team that were legitimate leaders. You know, you had Teppo Newman, Miller, you had Jay McKee. Yeah. The goaltender, you had, you know, Tony Ludman, Jochen hashed. I mean, guys that maybe not resonate with the fans, but they, you know, they still were guys that if something happened, they could pull everybody together. Um, I mean, it, I don't know. I I just think it's the I think leadership is lacking, and uh, and I think Jack Eichel probably should not be the captain of this team. I don't mean strip him of the C. He probably should just not have been it. There should be somebody else there uh, who commands that, who's there to pull them together, get it, whatever it is. To Ryan
2: O'Reilly. No, I was
3: just going to say that. And, 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 and to your point I mean Jake, Jake McCabe was in, in the big scheme of things if because you brought him up was even though Jay McKee wasn't an assistant captain if I recall, but Jake McCabe filled that role. He was part of that of that group, the leadership group that held people that tried to hold people accountable. but there aren't enough guys in but that- it
0: shouldn't be devastating when you lose Jake McCabe for the right. season that should not be considered devastating.
3: But when you lose Jake Jay McKee for, for game seven, I mean, that was devastating. But that was, that, that's a different story in, in, in many ways. You're right. You're right. But he was part of the leadership core. But it shows how fragile the leadership core is when you lose a Jake McKee. Right.
2: You know, John, when you talked about what maybe the next phase could be for this franchise and trading different players, trading Jack Eichel specifically, you didn't say the word tank. But it sounds a lot like, if not tanking, the suffering that the Sabres fans have had to go through going back multiple general managers, multiple coaches, multiple, you know, rebuilds. Do you think the fan base, the culture around the team, ownership has the appetite to go through that again?
3: Where is this, t- this team as it's formed right now with this unwieldy salary structure going to be three years from now? You've got four, four, four wingers who are part of the top five players, top top five played paid players on this team, four wingers, teams, and as Tim, as you know, you go back to oh six, oh seven, oh five, they had two core centers, and that's what this team lacks. But you've got four player, four wingers who are making but that them team
0: most- actually had a bunch of centers playing the wing too. They had so many centers. Right. Kim so but- Connolly played the wing.
3: Right. But this team is building itself up on Jeff Skinner and Taylor Hall and and, and Sam Reinhart, who's kind of a center, but just has proven he can't play that position. And you got Jack Eichel. Um, but where where this where this to, to go back, you know, where this team as it sits now, if you keep it together, do you think based on what it's done this season and for, you know, last season under Kruger will be anywhere further ahead in three years from now, as opposed to you blow the whole thing up and you work with a different nucleus and try to build it that way. And three years from now, I think they have a better shot of being a success, more successful team than what this group is right now. And it's just part of the culture. No one, no one has had the vision to, to, to build a team here, and that was the problem with the tank. You brought up the tank. And my, my big problem with the tank was is that the, the, the Sabres were content on losing so many games that they lost sight of building the support group, the third and fourth liners, um, you know, in, in the minors and the youngsters in the minors. There was no attention given to building the, the, the bottom core of the team except to let's get Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid and it better be Connor McDavid or we could be screwed. Um, There was no vision there. It was just lose for losing sake and just putting the whole franchise in suspended um, animation for two years as they went through this process of losing. Well, look where it's got them. That was a big reason, a big issue I had with the tank because there was no foresight in how to come out of the tank. All they did was they destroyed it and they never had a real way of, uh, of rebuilding it to a certain degree, but, but bringing in Vander Kane and, and, and um, Bogosian were the wrong moves, and bringing in, bringing in O'Reilly was the right move, but he's the one who got chopped because he actually spoke his mind.
0: To Jonah's uh, question, uh, though, I think a tank would mean trading all these things for draft picks uh, as <laughs> opposed to trading for other serviceable players. Um, those big trades for superstars rarely seem to work. You know, uh, you, know you just think of the high profile trades where you, you get rid of a superstar for four different players and they just, those four different players never seem to, to add up to, to nearly the, the, the worth of the player. But anyways, what, what are your thoughts in that regard though? Should they try to shift on the fly and obtain other players? Or I think that the, the full tank would be, draft picks that you might not see for three or four years the full the
3: full tank is going with a roster of minor leaguers and players and and, and journeymen who who really don't didn't deserve full, didn't deserve to be part of that. It's built, have the young guys develop around themselves at the NHL level, have a, a, a nucleus of some, you know, veteran, established veterans. You've got, you know, Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl could be a leader of this team. They had Gianta, but that was it. Um, it's, and it's, it's the, I, I, I'm I impressed with with McDermott and Bean because that's that's the one reference point we have. With them saying we're not tanking in 2017, even though we are making all these moves. We are looking at the long-term future and the short-term future. And they and to their credit, they made the playoffs with a belief, with a culture set in place by a coach who knew what he was getting himself into and made sure to keep to, to, to have autonomy over the team, as opposed to having people from with outside interests, with marketing interests. Yes, I'm referring to Russ Brandon uh, of, of meddling with the affairs and making splashes just for splash sake. That this is what this Sabres team needs. And I don't think they have the group in the front office at the coaching level to see this through.
2: Well, let me ask you. So if it reached the time where we'll call it the end of the Eichel era, it's time to have a fire sale, get rid of all these players, get draft picks rebuilt. Do you think that the current leadership group, Kevin Adams, Ralph Kruger, should be the ones to make that trade and pick the replacements, or should this happen in the offseason with a whole new regime? I, I,
3: I, really, I, I really think Kevin Adams is going to stay
2: um, good
3: for him um, and his job security, perhaps, but I do you have... I'm not sure how many people have any trust in this organization, given what it's done. If Kruger gets fired and that's a possibility, um, you know, right now, the front runner for the job for the for, to replace him might might well be Matt Ellis, because he's tight with Kevin Adams and he's worked with Kevin Adams. Um, I'm not sure exactly. You know, Matt Ellis strikes me as a nice guy, a, a good guy seems to be doing a good job at, you know, getting the players ready, coming back off injury. But what track record does he have as a coach? And you have a GM who's essentially indebted to the Pagulas for giving him his dream job in his hometown. That is not how you build a team or a front office structure. There needs to be people who say, let's hold off here and provide some kind of an established vision that is clearly lacking with the Sabres franchise, has been for quite some time.
1: What's your sense of what a potential return looks like if they do decide to trade a guy like Jack Eichel? Because it's not totally uncommon for a big-time player to get traded. We saw it this year uh, with the Jets and the Jackets kind of swapping stars there. Um, What do you think the demand and a return could potentially look like that would – It's hard to win a trade like that if you're the Sabres, but to at least get, you know, 90 cents back on the dollar.
3: Right. I get that. But I think, actually, I think Jack Eichel is marketable because, um, because I think he can be an established star, but not in a, not in a captaincy role where he's thrust into a position where he needs to be the savior of the franchise. Few guys can do that. Um, You know, I I think you can maybe get a, a good, perhaps young center. I, I don't know who's out there on the trade market, um, who might be available, but you can't get Tage Thompson for you know in, in a Ryan O'Reilly trade because bottle seemed to be backed into a corner based on, 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 on the salary deadline of, of, of O'Reilly getting that bonus. He needed to make that move before the bonus came in. Um, you look at the landscape, you look at the analytics, you look at Everything um, L.A. seems to be is have some young pieces and is looking for a bona fide star to 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 move them forward. Um, I wouldn't trade to Boston because you know now you're dealing with Jack Eichel in his hometown and in his own division, in your own division. I would want to move him to the to, to, to the Western Conference or what that was before. Um, the Sabers, lo and behold, were actually in the line A discussions a year before, Jason Botterill had had discussions with the Jets over a trade for involving Line a and maybe a package that included Rasmus Ristolainen. That fell apart when uh, Line A re-signed to the two-year deal. But the fact that Line a was still available this October might have been an indication, or you know, this, this season might have been an indication the Sabres could have been interested in Line. A. Though I'm not sure Line a is on at this point the same level as Jack Eichel. I think Jack Eichel is a better player given what Line, a, Line a has not done um and how inconsistent he's been. Um, but you get as much as you can. You trade Rasmus to Line a because he he deserves. A, a change of scenery, scenery that have a chance to actually um, compete for the playoffs as opposed to him being the very good soldier he's been here in Buffalo. You build with Daleen, you build with Cousins, you build with um, maybe Olufsen, I, I, I guess, too. you've got, a, a, the cupboard isn't bare in the minors and a credit to that is to Botterill, but you get what you can in return because this core doesn't work.
0: Okay, here's what I want to know, John. When you're talking to us, what are you looking at? Because I see you looking all around that room. What what is catching your eye? Are you nothing is catching window? my eye? I, 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 are you? I, 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 this is the at way I. I think it's the way. I talk. Posters. What are you doing?
3: No, it's just I think it's just the way I talk, and I'm just I, I'm. I don't know where I'm supposed to be looking as there I'm been thinking, Well, that's the thing. Thinking through you look- my process here.
2: You He's do look pensive. Brain. He's like a dog, you know, when they're thinking.
3: Well, I'm trying not to talk too fast, too, because I mean, we're having a conversation. I think this is how we have conversations, um, as opposed to you know, you know, being on a radio show where people just just have have their set three questions and they just want answers quickly. Um, I, I I like this format where we can actually have a conversation, so I could be a little bit more
0: pensive. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in thought, you do, it looks like it would be the same image, it would be on the back of, uh, on your, the dust cover on the back of your book, your your author photo. My author back, photo, what is that? On the back of your novel, you know, just kind of. Oh, right, yes, right. Looking in deep in thought.
3: Well, and, and our phone was ringing too, so I think I might have been distracted by that, I'm not sure if you could hear it.
0: I need to know what's on your wall behind you, give us a little, can you give us a tour of, uh. Of what what's on your wall? What means what what has meaning to John Warrow that is on his bulletin board, uh, stuck on a wall? What what we got there? Well, uh, actually, a lot the, of credentials I see.
3: A lot of credentials, but there. Uh, this this the, 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 this board right here has pretty much stayed the same for much of the uh, for much of my life. This goes back. This takes me back to uh, my Vancouver days. We've got. Uh, a card of former prime minister, Jean Chrétien. Um, yeah. We've got uh, my buddy here, Rick lacarry posing outside of Munster Hamlet, just because. We've got a view of my, uh, uh, the, the view across uh, my hometown into Detroit, from Windsor to Detroit. There's some, you know, ticket stubs. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, this is something that, uh, a friend of mine drew, um, drew um, out of a inspired by some fear and loathing stuff. Hunter S. Thompson. When I was the editor at the Burnaby News, because I would go off on rants. I'm not sure if you folks are aware of that that I have that reputation. So I didn't that, know that.
0: That's <laughs> I always like learning about my friends.
3: Um, this here's something I got from. Uh, our late colleague Alan Wilson's. Uh, um, uh, we had a fundraiser for forum, so that's a Gilbert Perot uh, 500th goal banner. Um, I've got. I don't know where I got the Vince Carter uh, cereal box, but I've got that. Otherwise,
0: gotta have that.
3: Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. I got. I've got. I've got a Tigers pennant that I bought, that I bought because I was I was a Tigers fan growing up in in Windsor, so. Um, and I've just got, Oh, there's my Flutie
0: Flakes. And, uh, just a whole bunch Who's of that bull- on the cart? Is that Jim Kelly being taken off on a cart?
3: Yes, that was, that was Dave Dupre's photo of Jim Kelly being taken off on the cart. I believe it was the Jacksonville Jaguars game. And that was in the AP office at the Buffalo news building. And I made sure to bring that, uh, with me in case. So, so it wouldn't get thrown away or taken by anybody.
0: What's Dave Dupre up to these days? Did he retire? He's long
3: retired. I've lost track. He's moved on to. Um, he's moved on to. He, he went back home to Rhode Island and uh, um, essentially left the business, from what I told. I'm told. I do believe tragically he was involved in a boating accident that really laid him up for quite some time. Um, but I've lost track of uh, of Dave. Uh, he's been gone for. I want to say, well, like he's not, not gone, but he's been, uh, he left the AP in 2009 when uh, we were starting a, a, a series of cutbacks and he was winding up working. Um, his region became Syracuse to Buffalo to Olean. So that was really difficult on him.
0: Well, thanks for the tour of your office there, John. Hey, no problem. I feel better about things now. Yeah. Now you know why he's looking around.
1: He's got a lot to look at.
0: He's got more stuff. That's right. That's what I was kind of getting at. I think it's got a lot of distractions in there. I think, uh, you might need to <laughs> clean things up if you want to be able to.
3: Oh my Lord.
1: Fishing. It kind of oh, looks okay. like a fly's gotten loose and John's just tracking the fly or a bat perhaps. I know John's had those oh problems Lord. in the past.
3: Let's not, let's not go there.
0: Hey, let's talk, uh, college hoops, uh, before we go, um, uh, Jonah Bronstein, uh, give us uh, your take on uh, Bonaventure. They win. Uh, they win the A10. Um, and first
2: time it's their first outright Atlantic Ten championship in the history of being in the league.
0: Well, what um, what do you make of this run? Because I think the last time we recap Bonaventure, um, things were a bit turbulent for them. They they obviously win those back to back games against Davidson that seemed to really get them back in into some momentum and um, here we are closing in on conference tournament time. I guess just what's your, your assessment. They seem to be the best team uh, in the, in the region.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And they're bordering on that top 25 receiving votes. And I don't know if they'll crack the AP poll, but they're getting closer and closer to where they were before they lost those two games, which by the way, were road games against the second and third, possibly best teams in their conference. And the A-10 is at least a two-bid league, if not a three-bid league this year. So I think Bonas had a great season with an excellent team that's mostly juniors. Um, They were supposed to be pretty good this year. And even last year had some injuries. I didn't really get as down on them after the games they lost. I knew it kept them out of the top 25 and some of that national attention that they were very close to getting. But if you look at their net, they're 28 in the net right now, 31 in Ken Palm. Those are both higher marks than they were three, four weeks ago when they were getting more attention from poll voters and had a, maybe a better looking record. They're playing even better right now. They haven't lost at home yet. They play Dayton today in their last home game. If I won't lose that one and have an undefeated home season, which is notable for the fact that there have been no fans at the Riley center and only all year for this season. And they have an excellent chance I think of winning the league or being a at large bid. I think they're in the NCAA tournament now, unless they really crumble in this game and their first (laughs) tournament game. I think they're in the field, at least maybe the last four in, but probably maybe even higher than that.
0: Well, let's take a look real quick at worst case scenario. Let's say that they do have a problem against Dayton and they lose in their first game in the a 10 tournament with all the other rankings. And the fact that they won the conference regular season championship, might that still be
2: enough to well, get in? It might still be enough to get in. I think that and maybe, yeah, yeah, they could still get in with those two losses. It would make it a lot tougher. They, you know, it was because it opens the door for a different team to win the Atlantic 10 tournament and then VCU to be that second team in the last four in, which really – It's alternated between VCU and Bono or St. Louis. Whoever has been the second team in the A-10 has been projected to be around that spot in the at-large conversation on the bubble all year. So if they lose in the first round of the tournament after, in your scenario, losing a home game that they should win late in the regular season, they're probably more like their third team in, and I don't know if the A-10 is going to get three teams. The interesting thing is being the A-10 regular season champion in any other year If you don't win the tournament, you automatically qualify for the NIT. But we don't really know what the NIT is going to be this year, if there's going to be an NIT. What it's rumored to be is only eight teams going to New York and might not have the automatic spots and and certainly won't have all of the automatic spots that it's had before. But I think I don't think Vana is going to lose today, and I don't think they're going to lose in the first round of the tournament. I think they could maybe lose in the semifinals or the finals. So long story short, I think that they're in the tournament because I don't expect them to really stub their toe twice here and, and screw it up for themselves.
3: What's holding Mark Schmidt back and being hired by another school? And in, in, in your opinion, because it's, it's it's been
2: farcical to see the moves that have been made in, in Mark getting overlooked. Well, one thing is usually to go from a mid-major to a high-major job, you have to Win the league and really be the best team in the league. Now, the A10 is a bit of a borderline mid major league. They're a multi bid mid major league. So it's been a little bit different. Uh, the thing with Mark Schmidt is I've never really been able to tell how much of it has been uh, teams not being interested in him, not offering him jobs or lowballing him on offers, and how much of it has been his own maybe lack of interest in moving on or lack of taking certain jobs that could be hard to win at or are too much of a rebuilding job. And I think it's been a blend of both. I think a lot of times when coaches move on, they're trying to move on and their agent is looking for offers early and often and putting them in the mix for these jobs with search firms and all the different things that are involved in, in these hires. So I, I don't know. I, I think that he's comfortable where he's at. I'm sure if he got a really attractive contract offer from a bigger league, uh, he might, take it, but I don't think that those Venn diagrams have crossed in the last few years in the times when he's been rumored to be in the mix for Boston College or Pitt or some of these other jobs.
3: Well, he's consistently, you know, built a winner. I mean, this, you just get, if, if, for people who aren't familiar, I mean, he took over a program that was at its low point after uh, the Anthony Solomon uh, debacle when he when when he was there for four four or five years and and, and was only there just to help reestablish St. Bonaventure's reputation after the whole um Vander who was that what, what was his name? Jan John... Van
0: Bredekoff. Yeah. yeah
3: Van Bredekoff, thank you. After that after that embarrassing you know debacle but you know what Mark Schmidt has done, I think people just don't appreciate how he's built a consistent winner in a small town where I think it's difficult to recruit people to come to Ohio.
2: Yeah, but there's still a level that they haven't reached, but they're <laughs> close to doing that right now. And being a top 25 team like Nate Oates was at UB and winning first round games the NCAA tournament, they won an opening round game a couple of years ago, but getting to the point where UB got into the NCAA tournament, that's when you really, as a mid-major or a smaller college coach really get on the radar when you, when you're beating the big teams and, and Bonner's beaten good teams in non-conference play the last couple of years. This is a weird year because they didn't play those non-conference games and the schedule is all different. So it's, it's a little bit hard to judge if this is really the best team he's had at Bonner. Cause in some ways you look at it and it is, and in some ways maybe it's not. So, you know, this could be the year we'll see what happens here in March. I, I think he could, be in those conversations. We'll see how many jobs are open, though. I don't think it's going to be a big carousel this year coming out of the pandemic situation and all that.
0: And um, he's in his 50s. And uh, usually a lot of these, everything seems to be skewing younger. Unless you're a legend, uh, I think that schools are generally more enamored with the up-and-comer, the, the rising assistant off of uh, you know somebody's bench. It seems to be that, um, you know, it's Mark true. Schmidt's opportunity, his window may have closed for that next big step if he wants to take it. And we're, the whole premise of this conversation is that he would even, maybe he doesn't even want to leave at all.
2: But he hasn't been the hot young name like Nate Oates was, but he's also not that old. There's coaches in their 60s and even coaches in their 70s. I think usually coaches at that age, though, have, been at bigger jobs before and they're kind of coming with their second tour through. And you usually, the guys that elevate from mid majors to high majors are the younger, you know, program builders, ladder climbers. I think a lot of it comes down to uh, Mark Schmidt and his agent and how aggressively they've been trying to position him for some of these jobs.
3: Well, I I do think that, I mean, there was seriousness. He did want the BC job the last time it was open and then flirted with that pit job before they things went really weird there. So uh, that might've been his window then.
0: Yeah. BC job. Of course, you can't talk about Mark Schmidt without noting that the BC <laughs> job is open. Right. Uh, right. he's That's where he went to college. He's uh, from just South of Boston. And uh,
3: loves the Patriots. Yeah. He, ta- he talks to the Patriots all the time, even though he knows he's in Bill's country.
0: Uh, Well, John, this has been fun. It's been good to take a well-educated journey through all the Buffalo sports um, with a guy who has to cover all of them. He has to be knowledgeable on them. And a very good journalism talk, too, about uh, the importance of being right is far more significant than the importance of being first or trying to make people think that you are in the know, whether that be for your brand or whatever. Um, the APA, hey, let's talk about this, let's wrap it up. Let's go full circle with it. Um, and let you brag on your employer uh, because I think it is admirable um, about the rules and everything that it needs to be in place at the Associated Press for going with a story because you guys never write about rumor. Uh, you'd never write about, uh, unless the rumor has newsworthiness to it. Uh, you know, I guess you, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. But there are so many layers that need to, be, get, to uh, be confirmed and to have the green light for you to publish a story that a lot of other people don't on their blog or on their Twitter.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are times where we get beat to stories because we're busy having to have every source we get Needs to be approved by a superior, and, and that's one of four sports editors who we need to pass it through. And sometimes those those people are busy, and as you know, um, stories break all at all times of day. And sometimes something breaks at 11 o'clock at night. It's difficult to actually find that or get a hold of that superior to be uh, to get approval on this, to get sourcing approval. Um, and the, per- the the source of the story needs to have direct knowledge. It can't be, well, so and so's cousin told me um, that that this is what's happening. It has to be somebody with direct connection to what the story is. We can't write. We also can't write opinion. If a, if a source wants to share an opinion, oh, this guy's a jerk. We can't write that. We need that. We would need that to be on the record. Um, so it, it, it's very defined and we can go with one source so long as that, that there's somebody that we do trust. We have a track, but record with has not steered us wrong in the past. Um, and, and again, has that direct knowledge to, um, what is going on. Um, there are times where we do where we really, be, you know, where we do require two or three sources when these, when, when, when it's when we're really dealing with something that's um, more newsworthy. I mean, a contract's one thing, but when it comes to criminal behavior or, or, or what have you, or especially at the political level, it may require two or three sources because the standard that the AP has established is that we are um, the gold standard for being right. Lord, I hate being, you know, I, I I've, I, I would never want to be the one to tarnish that standard. And so it's something that we take very seriously and I'm glad there are times where an editor will say and will challenge you, um, as to why we need this story, even though it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a burning thing on Twitter. It's going viral. The, the manager will actually challenge you and say, do we need this? And I respect what their opinion is because they do this more often than not with all of us. I mean, I'm just one person and our managers are dealing with hundreds, you know, dozens of sports writers. So they make this make these decisions on a daily basis. We have people who are above them, who um, run our standards desk, who sometimes they, we need to go to a third person to get the, the source vetted. Before we go there, so it's a very strict um, and fast rule that we're, or procedure that process that we have to go through, and cutting corners just doesn't work. And I'm, I'm glad we don't cut corners because we may be second or third on the story, but at least we have the we have the knowledge that we are secure in knowing that what we have is
0: correct. All right. And you get your calls returned when you work for the Associated Press.
3: That's true. Most of the time. Kevin Adams, where's my my number? Just throw (laughs) that out there. Be nice if he ever returned the call.
0: Johnny Wawa, always good to have you on here. John Warrior, the Associated Press. Thanks for joining the show. My pleasure. Tim Graham and Friends is brought to you by CTBK. CPAs, and business consultants. CTBK is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants and business consultants with roots in Amherst, New York. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, and advice on mergers and acquisitions, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or to request a quote, Call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716-630-2400. CTBK, over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond.